Psalm 19. The heavens do declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaim, proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pour out speech. Night to night they reveal knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes up like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man who runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. All you right brain people were just hoping the sermon was just going to be that today. Isn't it nice just to sit and listen to something created, a beautiful piece of music, and put it together with God's creation? And it doesn't tell you everything about God, but it tells you something about him. Who's behind all this? What kind of person And David wants to lead us into understanding that that the way you find that out is through his word. And just over and over again, he's just going to just say the same thing. You've got to find God in his word. You've just got to keep going back to his word no matter what happens. David understands that the wordless testimony of the creation isn't enough. There's got to be some way that we know God better, and it comes through his word. So he pivots. He makes a hard turn here in verse 7. And you can easily see the poetry in these first few verses as we look at them again. Just notice how he says the same thing in different ways. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, it would be interesting for you just to take some time to reread that and just sort of diagram it or pick it apart. One thing you may not have noticed is the shift that David has made in the way he addresses God. In the very first verse, what does he say? The heavens declare the glory of God. In the Hebrew, that's the word E-L-L. It's a generic form of addressing God because you're generically saying there must be a God up there. I mean, I see this creation and there's a God. There's a being beyond me. It's not a personal identity. It's just publicly identifying that there's a God. But then you notice in verse 7, he shifts to what? Lord. It says it six times. You really can't miss it now that I've showed you. And when in your Bibles, it's probably all capitalized, L-O-R-D. That's the way of the writer to say, I'm talking about Yahweh. 
I'm talking about Jehovah. Remember Moses? He was called a friend of God. And Moses was given God's name. Remember he says, who do, who do I say has sent me? And what does God say? My name's Yahweh. I, I am. That's what it says. I'm the person. I'm the being who always is. And Moses, I want us to move into a friendship. You're going you're gonna to know me face to face. So just like a face-to-face relationship, you want to know the person's name. You don't want to just say, hey, hey, you. Hey, you person. No, you want to say, can you tell me your name? And here's my name. My name is Paul. Let's, let's move into a closer relationship. So David is, is signaling to us when we move into God's word, we're moving into intimacy. We're moving from the abstract to intimacy when we go to God's word. The second thing I'm sure you notice is all these parallel statements, six parallel descriptions, different designs. I don't know if they still make these for kids, but do you remember the, the kaleidoscope? Anybody remember this? You, I, don't, I don't know. We had, we had a, long, a lot of long road trips, so you'd stare in the kaleidoscope for 20 minutes to try to just pass the time. And it had all these little chips, I guess, of plastic pieces or glass. I'm not even sure what it was. And, you know, you turn the kaleidoscope and you get it in the sun. And every little turn, you know, all the plastic pieces would shift and it would make a a little bit of a different design. And that's really in these six descriptions is what David's doing. He's taking a kaleidoscope and saying, we're just going to use God's word. But every time we turn it, it shifts a little bit different. It says something or displays something a little bit different about God. And I wish we had the time to unpack every phrase and every word, but we don't. So I just want to give you some highlights from my study this week. First of all, the law of the Lord is perfect. And its perfection revives the soul. What I was looking for on my sabbatical was soul revival. I bet some of you are looking for that too. I mean, I, I can I can get the other parts of my life maybe to go together, but there's something in my soul that I, I, so I need help from a different kind of source. And I'm not going to get it at staring at a redwood. As beautiful as a redwood is or as beautiful as the ocean is, I need something more intimate. I need someone who can get down into my soul and revive a weary soul. I love how commentator Derek Kidner writes about this verse. Scripture has the power to revive your true identity. Scripture has a power. And it can do many things, but one thing it can do is revive your true identity. It goes on. Revive means something's gone wrong, something's out of balance. Perhaps you've forgotten who you are, Kidner says. You're a creature made in God's own image. And the word is like a double-edged sword which comes in and it cuts through all the distortion, damage, and shame and reaches your soul. God's word has the power to revive a dying soul. God's word has a power that I don't have, that the ocean doesn't have. It can come in and like a sword cut through all distortion, damage, 
and shame. These things that distort our soul, we can cut through. I don't know if you're a Chronicles of Narnia fan, but I am. And one of the books, and they're all my favorite, but so this is one of my favorites, The Silver Chair. It's about a prince who's under the spell of an evil queen who happens to be a serpent. You find that out in the end. What's interesting about the spell on the prince is the spell makes him forget who he is. He doesn't remember or know that he's a prince. He, don't, he doesn't know that he's the son of a king. Except for a little bit of time every day, he comes to his senses. It's like the spell is broken for like 15 minutes. And the queen knows this, so she double ties him to a silver chair. So that when he comes to his senses, he's locked in a room alone. And he's saying, I'm, I'm the prince. I know I'm a prince. But then the spell comes back over him. And he forgets his identity then for the rest of the day. And the interesting part about the story is one night some friends help him out. And he gets out of the silver chair while he knows he's a prince. And he gets a sword and destroys the chair. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I don't know what Lewis was thinking of, but I bet something like this. The sword is the word of God. The sword is what helps you understand who you really are. I'm a child of God. I love the the song that we sang, and I love that Jason sang it over and over again. You, I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. You're for me. You're not against me. How many times have you said that this week? God, it sure feels like you're against me. <laughs> But but I know you're for me. You just got to say it over and over. And the word has a way of, of being like the double-edged sword to, to cut us away from these chairs, these distortions that damage our soul. It's perfect. It's a perfect sword. So if you need a soul revival, go, go stand and sit at the ocean or sit at the ocean and send me a picture of your tan legs as it's going out to the ocean. Somebody did do this. But, but take your Bible. Because the sun and the surf just won't be enough to get to your soul. It'll help. But this is what gets down to reviving the soul. It's perfect for that. It's sure. It's trustworthy. I have, I have grandkids now, so we're at the side of the pool. And what's happening? Jump into the pool. Are you going to catch me, Granddad? It's sh- I sure am. You look a little farther away than the last time I jumped. I'm still going to catch you. You do not have to worry. You jump, and I'm going to catch you. There's no chance my granddaughter, Lucy, who's three, I'm going to let her go. There's just not a chance. So I know it's scary to jump into God's Word and trust God's word rather than your word. But it's sure, you can, you can jump into the deepest situation and know that God is going to be there. It's right, which means not, not just that it's correct, but it, it's the proper path. It's the right way to go. Remember Jeremiah? Remember the passage? It's standing at a crossroads, and God says, take, just take the ancient path. It's the right way to go.
God's word is the one plumb line where you, you know you're on the straight way. So even if you build a fence that's a quarter of an inch off, God's word will say, you, you need to move back into line with me. It's, it's right. It's the way to go. And I love this one. It's, it makes wise the simple. And, and I like this particularly because I like the wisdom in the book of Proverbs. You probably know there's 31 Proverbs. And so a great spiritual practice is just to read one chapter in the Proverbs every day for a month. And so it's just a good little, it doesn't take too much time. You just read it. You just pick up one or two little things in each chapter. That's the way it's meant to be. Like this is just making wise the simple. And throughout the book of Proverbs, there's two personifications, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And they're both crying out saying, follow me. And Lady Wisdom comes up and says, you who are simple, turn here. Just turn here. This, this is, if you would just live along the grain of God's word, then, then you'll get a lot less splinters in your life. Just, just turn here, and she will make wise even the simplest people. And most of you know these. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Let not your heart turn aside to the adulteress, for many a victim she has laid low, and many strong men have been slain by her. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Whoever opens wide his lips comes to ruin. A wise woman will build her house, but a foolish one will tear it down with her own hands. Plans fail for a lack of counsel but with many advisors they succeed the borrower is a slave to the lender a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger do you see a man wise in his own eyes there's more hope for a fool than him isn't that great just if you just open up god's word and you just read, it's right, it's sure, it's, it, it's just, you, you're, you, the Proverbs understand every reader is simple. And if you just live along the grain of God's word, how many of you can think of a time where, oh, I was in a situation and I delivered a harsh word mm. and it didn't calm things down. <laughs> And you wish you could just somehow reeled it back in just because I'm, I'm not living on the right way here. It's true. Notice this in verse 9. This is maybe the most helpful point. It's true. God's word is true. And then as like an emphasis, what does he say at the end? It's altogether righteous. You don't have to worry about picking and choosing. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, it is all true. No burden on you as to decide, well, which parts are true and which aren't. It's all true. David wants to make sure you understand everything in the Bible can be trusted. Perhaps you saw this week a, a news clip about the Chinese Communist Party attempting to rewrite the Bible. Did you see this? True story. 
give you an example. John chapter 8, Jesus and the crowd and the woman caught in adultery. Remember that story? So basically, the, the, uh, some people have caught a woman in adultery. Just bring the woman, which is a weird part of the story because you can't commit adultery by yourself. And so the woman comes, and they're all ready to stone the woman. And Jesus says, you know, you who are without uh, blame, what does he say? You cast the first stone. So from oldest to youngest, stones dropping. Uh, he forgives the woman. Just go and sin no more. In the Chinese Communist Party, same story, but after the crowd leaves, Jesus stones the woman. In the article, this is what it says, the effort of the Chinese Communist Party to rewrite the Bible, listen, is about control. They're co-opting the Bible as a means to serve their own interests. Can you imagine co-opting the Bible to serve your own interests? Can you imagine just taking pieces of the Bible and using it and then other pieces not using it? Sort of like rewriting the Bible? See, it's a little shocking to hear the Chinese Communist Party rewriting the Bible, but if we look a little closer to ourselves, is it possible that's what we try to do? As Christians, we, we look here and we say, gosh, there are so many good things, but, you know, some things are dated. Some things just don't fit my desire pattern. I mean, some things just, you know, I can just kind of X this out. I don't believe this part. That's why David's saying, no, it's right, and it's right all together. It's easy to say, I, I know there's many good things in the Bible, but, you know, there's just some things that don't apply. I mean, I know Jesus says, love your enemy, but he doesn't mean that person. I know that. See, see, is, don't you find it easy for you to rewrite the Bible and kind of make it sound what you prefer it to sound like? Why? Because you want to be in control. I want to be in control. And whenever that happens, just, just say to yourself, when I'm doing this, I'm becoming the straight edge. I know exactly what should happen in every situation. And you want to be very careful when you get to that point. Martin Luther says this, we must make a great difference between God's word and the word of man. That's one reason we have this moment in between reading the Bible and me saying something about the Bible. I just want to make sure you understand the two are not the same. A man's word is a little sound which flies into the air and soon it vanishes but the word of God is greater than heaven and earth. Yea, it is greater than death and hell. For it is the power of God that remains so everlastingly. Therefore, we ought to diligently learn God's word. And we must trust. We must know certainly and believe that God himself speaks with us. If I had time for another sermon, I'd connect Psalm 19 to the beginning of John's gospel. When John says the word 
What happened to the Word? It became flesh. Why? This is so beautiful. Why does he say that it became flesh? So he could move in with us. To dwell with us. See, God's coming for you. First, it's there's a beautiful creation, and there's got to be a wonderful creator, but it's limited. So I learned something from God's Word, and then the Word becomes flesh. It says, Paul, I'd like to, I'd like to have a face-to-face relationship with you. This is a whole other sermon that I don't have time for. But what I want us to hold on to today is the value of God's Word. Be horrified by the Chinese Communist Party rewriting the Bible. Be equally horrified where you try to take little pieces and take it out and make it say what you want it to say. It's perfect. It's sure. It's trustworthy. And especially if you have a soul like mine that need, needed revival. Netflix, the ocean and the sunset, a large pizza. I mean, these are all great things, right? Very limited power. But God's word is a double-edged sword that can cut away shame and distortion and restore you to your true identity. Let's pray together. Lord, we are... We are here because of your word. We don't have to worry that your word is going to flicker and go out like the lights did today. We are going to flicker and go out. Our words, as Luther said, are little puffs of air that are that's just going to be completely lost. And so would you help each person here trust in your word especially the person who feels like I, I I'm caught in the silver chair I don't know who I am would they come to know you I pray in Jesus name amen, amen.